But today, we're going to be in week two of a collection that we've entitled Becoming. Becoming. And the question that we're asking is, who am I becoming in Christ? Who am I becoming in Christ? See, I believe this is an important question for us to ask because so many of us lose sight of the fact that healthy marriages start with healthy individuals. Strong marriages start with strong individuals. Godly marriages or God-honoring marriages start with godly individuals. And we've got to focus on becoming and being the person that God has created us to be, get this, before the altar. Because how many of you know the altar isn't the answer to your problems, the altar will magnify your problems. And some of us today need to get a vision for who God has created and called us to be in this life. And I want to jump straight into the text. We're going to spend some time in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but before I get to the text, I just kind of got to put this out there. My prayer for tonight, as we go into week two of this collection, is that men, you would leave this place with some vision as to who God created and called you to be. I love it. And woman, I believe that God, through this message, he's going to give you a better filter as to understanding who the man of God that God is calling you to pursue. And ladies, I, I'm glad that you're excited. But next week, you're going to get the same thing, okay? Now, I just want to be really clear about this because I think it's so often that a man will walk into this space and hear a message like this and go, yo, why is he calling me out? I just want to preach this message with some passion and authenticity because I don't believe that this message is a call out as much as it is God calling you up. And I believe when we understand that God isn't calling us out but God is calling us up, it's going to move us to take some action in our life. And this isn't only for men that I'm talking about being called up. I believe that God is calling some women up to heighten their standards as for what they're looking for in a man. Uh, how many of you remember in high school, um, like the star quarterback? Remember the star quarterback of the football team in high school? Uh, this was the, the guy that all of the guys hated and all the women loved. And the guys hated him because all the women loved him, right? And I just think what's so interesting about uh, the high school quarterback is the high school quarterback, typically he had a chip on his shoulder. He's kind of full of himself. Maybe a strong word, but a little conceited, a little prideful at heart. But it's just so interesting that this is the guy that all of the women wanted. And what I think about the high school quarterback, and if you were the high school quarterback, I'm sorry, okay, just going to say that. But I just think it's so interesting that that's what a woman wants, because it's quite often those traits and those characteristics are the same characteristics and traits that a woman are fighting against in marriage. And I just kind of want to speak to that idea today of becoming the man of God that God has called you to be. Because men, I believe that God has called us to die to ourselves, not to become a man that's well-esteemed or well-known or has notoriety, notability. No, I believe that God has called us to die to ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after Jesus. To become more like Jesus. 
And as we jump into this message, I just want you to know, man, this isn't, this isn't an attack. This isn't me calling you out. I believe this is God calling you up. But I just need you to understand, if you are wrestling with this message, that's the spirit of conviction. That's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. That's the Holy Spirit calling something out of you through his word. And I just want you to know, men in the room, that I'm for you. I'm cheering you on. I believe in you. I believe that you can be all that God has created you to be. But you need to realize that there is a gap. There's a gap. There's a gap between where you are and where God is calling you to be. And woman, I want you to not only heighten your standard. I want you to stop dating like the world. I want you to stop dating like the world. You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. I love this text in 1 Corinthians 16 because the Christians of Corinth, they were a young church. And the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to this church because they find themselves in a specific place and a specific time where they're trying to follow after Jesus. They're trying to become more like Jesus. But all around them there's sin, there's immorality, there's idolatry. There's so many different worldly forces up against them. But in this moment, the Apostle Paul, he speaks to this church and he says, stand firm. Stand firm. But notice he doesn't just say stand firm. He says, and act like men. And when the Apostle Paul says act like men, it's important you understand. He's not just saying be a man. How I many you know that idea of being a man in 2024 can carry a big negative connotation? But he's saying be a man of God. Be a man of God. He says stand firm. Remain strong, hold on to your faith, but act like a man of God. Why? Because men of God are different and countercultural to the men of the world. And what I want the men of this house to understand is God is calling you to live a life that's different than the men that we see in the world. We're called to something different. We're called to act like a man of God. The other day, um, Michelle and I we were sitting in our backyard, and in our backyard, we have this huge, huge pergola, and we have this paver slab, and it's, that's my friend Zach, he helped me build it, uh, but Zach, just wait, we're not going to celebrate just yet, because there's a story behind this, okay? You see, um, when I was a kid at my house uh, in New York, I grew up in New York, my dad and I, we actually put together a massive pergola in our backyard, and I was like, man, this is amazing, this was great as a kid, and that was in my past, though, so I was like, man, I want to recreate that same pergola, and not only did I build that in my past with my dad, uh, one of my best friends, he lives in Dallas, Texas, but Michelle and I went and flew out to their house in Texas, and while we were there, we ended up putting together the same exact type of pergola. Fast forward about a year ago, I'm sitting in our backyard, we go, we should put a pergola. Michelle goes, no, you should put a pergola. And I like to think of myself as, as a handyman, right, babe? I'm supposed to say yes. Um, I, I like to think that I don't have two left hands, if you know what I mean. So I conjure up this plan. We're going to do the pavers, and we're going to put up the pergola. And I've seen this before in the past, and I'm going to help my buddy do this. And I was just looking up YouTube videos and forums, how to put together a Toja grid pergola. And I was so excited about this thing. But when I started doing this, Felt like your boy was about to lose his salvation, okay? 
Like, I was so frustrated in that moment. And Michelle's coming outside. Are you guys good? Yes, we're good, Michelle. Does it not look like we're good? I've seen this before. I've, I've done this before. I've put one of these together in the past. I've helped Joey do this. What are you talking about? Of course I know what I'm doing. I was just thinking about that story and thinking about that moment because I just kind of feel like that's the same way some of us go about this season of our lives when it comes to dating. We date and we go about things based off of what we've seen in the past. We go about things based off of what we've seen our peers do. And we lose sight of the instructions of God's word. See, I believe in that moment I could have spared myself so much frustration had I actually read the instructions. Because the instructions, they're created to spare us the headache and the heartache. And so many of us, we find ourselves trying to date, trying to go about relationships, and all we're experiencing is headache and heartache. Why? Because we've neglected the instructions of God's word. And today, I want you to know that the instructions of God's word is very, very clear as to what it looks like to become and be the man of God that God has created and called you to be. And tonight, my hope is that you would leave this place understanding the standard of our lives should be the word of God. And the word of God should shape who we are pursuing and who we are becoming. See, ladies, I want you to hear me on this because your standard, so often you make it about appearance and accomplishment and accolades and achievements and physique. And you get so caught up in charm that you miss out on character. And I just wonder how different your dating life and your dating experience would be if instead of focusing on charm, you actually paid attention to character. Some of us need to shift our attention off of appearance and maybe start looking at their fruit of the anointing. Are they bearing fruit for Jesus? Are they running after the things of God? You see 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, it says physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things in this life. See, that word, godliness, when it's translated in the original language, it's close and synonymous with the word becoming. Godliness is about becoming the man, becoming the woman that God has created you to be. And you and I got to keep sight and keep view of who God has called us to be. As we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he explains to Timothy, the character and the qualifications of an overseer in the church. The character and the qualifications of an overseer in the church. And I just kind of want to use that passage today to kind of highlight some qualities of a godly man, a God-fearing man, a man that's pursuing the things of God. I know some of you men in the room today, you're going, well, Mark, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to be a pastor, dog. I, I don't want to be no overseer in the church. But I just kind of want you to have this picture because you may never be called to, to preach from a stage, but you are called to pastor your wife. You may never have a calling to, to pastor a gathering like the exchange or pastor a church, but you are called to pastor your children. So we've got to understand who, who has God called me to be as a man of God. And woman, you need to understand what should I be looking for in a man of God. First Timothy chapter 3, it says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, 
temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Yet he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Pretty strong words from the Apostle Paul. And I think it gives us a few qualities that are calling man of God to understand what it, be, what it means to be a man of God. And I believe it gives us qualities for women to understand what they should be looking for in a man of God. You see, when it comes to this idea of pursuing a man of God and becoming a man of God, the first thing we need to look at and ask the question is, is that man pursuing God? Very simple. Are they pursuing God? Are they living for God and are they living for the things of God? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with the darkness? Ladies, I just want to pause for a moment. The question you must ask as you're having conversation with this man is, do they know Jesus? Are they saved? Is he pursuing God? Is he walking with God? Is he pursuing the things of God? And I will just say this. If God doesn't have their heart, don't give them yours. If God doesn't have his heart, don't give him yours. you got to ask the question, is he saved? Does he know Jesus? And the key is, is he saved? Not could he be saved? If I start dating him, will he be saved? got to ask that question, is he a follower of Jesus? I think the better question at another level is, has he died to himself? Has he died to himself? The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone wants to be my follower, they must die to themselves and take up their cross daily to follow after me. Has he taken up his cross? Has he died to his flesh to follow after Jesus? Some of you wonder, well, well, how do I know if they're really living out what they talk about? Well, look at the fruit. Look at the words that are leaving their mouth. Are they more concerned with their kingdom or the kingdom of heaven? Are they always talking about their kingdom or God's kingdom? Sometimes we need to learn how to ask hard questions such as, what does the gospel mean to you? Tell me your salvation story. How, how do you experience God in this life? How does God speak to you in this life? Or what has God done in your life? Got to start asking some challenging, challenging questions. The second layer to that is, are they understanding of God's idea for marriage? Are they understanding of God's idea and concept of marriage? And I think that this shows up in the way that we date. And it impacts so many areas of our relationship. Because too often what I see is couples moving towards the altar as if it's a contract instead of a covenant. You see, a contract is transactional. It's, it's all about what can you do for me and what can I do for you. But the covenant of marriage is all about sacrifice. It's all about sacrifice. A contract is transactional, but the covenant of marriage 
is all about being sacrificial. It's an agreement that says, to death do us apart. I'm committed to you. I'm dying to myself to serve you, to meet your needs. So I officiants at weddings say, till death do us apart. Covenants would typically, in the Old Testament, end with something or someone dying. We've got to understand the weight of marriage. It's not about what can you do for me. It's about how can I die to myself to meet your needs. I think so many of you women today, you're chasing men that are filled with selfish ambition and ego. And they don't understand what it means to die to self. They don't understand what it means to die to their self. The other layer of this is, are they committed to the church? Are they committed to the church? How do I know if they're pursuing the things of God? Are they consistent in their church attendance? The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The writer of Hebrews says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another in the faith. Let's not neglect our meeting together. And you know, one of the greatest challenges right now for me as a pastor, every single weekend I'm, I'm at our Lutz location and I, I stand in the lobby and I just watch so many women walk through the doors. And I'll see about 20 yards behind them their husbands walking through the doors. And I just think that's such a picture of how leadership is today. Women going first, men to follow. And I believe that the call of God is never for a woman to lead. I believe the call of God is for men to lead. And men, I'm challenging you to wake up and start practicing right now in your singleness. I'm not waiting to the altar. I'm not waiting to marriage. I am setting the example today. I'm setting the example today. Are they consistent in their hunger, their desire to be in the house of the Lord? Are they consistent in their church attendance? Not only their church attendance, I also think about the fact that so many men today... They would say, you know, I, I go to church, but I just don't like your church. And then you ask them the question, well, what church do you go to? I, I just go to that church. What's the name of your pastor? Oh, there's so many of them. Got to ask him hard questions. What do you like about your pastor? What do you value about your church? What's the thing that keeps you going back to that church? Tell me a little bit about your small group. Tell me about the people who are coming alongside of you and challenging you and helping you become more like Jesus. How committed is he to the church? The other fold within that same question of pursuing God is, are they committed to God's word? See, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 says, this man of God, he must be able to teach. He must be able to teach. And I want you to make sure that you understand this in context as for what I'm saying right now in this moment. As man of God, he doesn't need to be able to preach from the pulpit, but he has to be able to shepherd and lead your family spiritually. He has to be able to disciple you with the word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the call of a husband is to cleanse his wife with the word of God. That's powerful language. To cleanse his wife with the word of God. And I'm not asking, can he read the Bible? I hope he can read. But I just wonder, is the Bible reading him? And when I ask that question, what, what I don't want you to be lost in is a man that, that can talk a lot of Bible language. Because there's a lot of men that the Bible is here, but it hasn't gotten here. And life transformation doesn't take place when you have it here. It takes place when it comes right here. Does he know God's word? 
Is he living out God's word? Does he have a conviction to pursue the things of God? The second thing we got to look at is are they living with self-control? Are they living with self-control? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Verse 3, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is this man, he shouldn't be short-tempered. Shouldn't be a guy that flies off the handle when things aren't going his way, when somebody cuts him off in, the, in traffic, is he using the spirit finger. We've got to start looking at these different things. And I just think that it's so important we look at that and go, that's a red flag. Because how many of you know it only gets worse over time? It, it only gets worse over time. James chapter 1 verse 19 it says this, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to get angry. Got to be slow to anger. Got to be able to have some self-control. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. And I just want to remind you, I said this on the very front end, you can't do this in your own strength. You need the spirit of God in your life. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you be a man or a woman of self-control. See, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 7, I believe it is, uh, that the way we know if someone is committed and following after Jesus is by their fruit. It's by their fruit. It's by the way they live their lives. What's the fruit of his life? What are the things that you're seeing coming out of this man's life? Paul also mentions the word drunkenness. Now, I'll just say this. When it comes to this, I know this is a little, uh, you know, this is a hard one. But if you guys met in a bar, that might be a problem. Um, but the thing that Paul is alluding to, it's not just about drinking. This is about a man portraying addictive behavior and addictive patterns. Yes, it's, it's one thing to talk about drinking for drunkenness, but it, it's another thing to look at the way that they portray their lives. Do they display addictive behavior? And I would just challenge you, woman, if you feel like you're getting more and more serious in this relationship, you need to ask them the difficult questions. What do you struggle with? What are the things that really hold you back from walking in all of the things of God? What are the things that, that you're struggling with in the flesh? What are the things that keep you up late at night? You've got to start asking deeper questions and get to the core of the things that are challenging them to live a life of self-control. And I think that self-control, it goes so much deeper than drinking. It has a lot to do with purity. How are they with purity? I think an indicator of where someone is at or where a man is at with this idea of purity is, is he pushing the limits with you? Is he trying to push you to the next base all the time? Is he trying to push you to do things that you don't feel comfortable doing? Is he trying to push you to do things that you know scripture is very, very clear about? Is he pushing you to the next phase? Is he constantly making sexual innuendos and just trying to gloss it over with the statement, I'm just kidding? That's a red flag. Does he spend more time talking about your beauty or your body? That's a red flag. We've got to start looking at all of these different areas because it's a tell of where they are in the area of self-control. The third thing is this, are they a person of good reputation? Is he a person of good reputation? First Timothy chapter three, verse two, 
Paul says this, so a church leader must exercise self-control, must live wisely, and they must have a good reputation. A good reputation. The other day, Michelle and I were at a steakhouse. Some friends invited us uh, to go eat at a, a steakhouse. And one of the things about my wife, whenever we go out to eat, she always ends up with the best thing on the menu. And the other day, we were sitting at the restaurant, and the waitress came probably about two or three times and asked, are you guys ready? And I'm like, yes. Michelle's like, not yet. See, the thing about Michelle, whenever we go out to eat, um, she's a yelper. Any yelpers in the room? Always looking up restaurants on Yelp. And then, after she looks at all the Yelp reviews, she will then proceed and ask the waiter or waitress, well, what do you recommend? She, she's always asking for second opinions. She's always asking for the people who are in proximity to speak and vouch for what they believe. And I just think this is a picture of how some of us need to date. You need to get the Yelp reviews on that man. You need to start asking the man around him, tell me a little bit more about your friend. Tell me a little bit more about what you value most about his life. I think so many of us, we laugh about this, but what we're doing is we're dating in isolation, and isolation is leading us to the greatest pain we've ever experienced in our life. We're living with so much regret, going, I wish I would have known that about him. What if I told you you could have known that about him? had you not been dating in isolation. Some of us need to start getting around some people who are in proximity to that man and asking them the questions. And not only asking them the questions, but listening to what they're not saying. Got to listen to what they're not saying. Got to start listening for what they're saying and listening for what they are not saying because oftentimes it's the things that they're not saying that's an indicator that his friends are no different or set apart from he is. He's blending in with the pack. So many of us, we've settled for subpar men, not only because we're dating in isolation, but because we're not asking other people around that man or woman the hard questions. You need to listen to what people are saying, and you need to listen to what they're not saying. I remember when Michelle and I were dating, we're getting to know each other. Each and every one of her friends, doesn't matter how little or how tall, they would look at me and go, if you mess this up, you're mine. Some of these girls are like 5'3", five, 5'4", five, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know. But I just wonder, does that man have any friends that are being the gatekeeper for him? Does that man have anyone in his life that's vouching and saying good things and speaking highly of his character and of his potential? You know, Proverbs 27, verse 6, it says this, don't call attention to yourself. Let others do that for you. And I was thinking about this verse on the way over here. Because I think one of the things that so many of you women miss out on is the men that just fill themselves up with charm and speak highly about themselves and just romanticize you with about, all about how great they are. And it stops at that. You don't look past that. And the Bible says in Proverbs 27 that you've got to watch out for those men or those people that just speak so highly of themselves. That's an indicator. That's a red flag. In fact, if they talk about themselves more than they talk about anything else, I believe that that's a sign that there's insecurity. And I believe not only is that a sign that there's insecurity, I believe that this is a sign that they don't really want you to know who they are at the core. It's a defense mechanism. The fourth thing I want you to know is 
This man of God, he needs to be a good steward of what God has placed in his hands. And this is something we really need to focus on as we're maturing, as we're growing up, as now we're in our 20s and stepping into the real world. We need men that can be good stewards of what God places in their hands. The Bible says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. Not, a man must not be given a drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. I want to key in on that last portion of the verse. Not a lover of money. There's an incredible book called The Psychology of Money. I think as you get more serious in that relationship, you need to start asking questions about their view and their psychology of money. Is money everything or is money a tool? Think about that. Is money everything or is money a tool? And as you get more serious in conversation, ask that man about his credit score. I don't want to see the bank account. I want to see your credit score. I don't have credit karma. Let me get it for you. Got to start getting serious about these things. I think uh, one of the quotes that I read one day, actually it was an article, it spoke about a man by the name of Rockefeller. And uh, Rockefeller, he's one of the richest men to ever live. And in this article, they asked Rockefeller the question, um, how much money is enough money? And he said, one more dollar. One more dollar. See, what that is a picture of is a man that never knows when enough is enough. A man that's spending his life toiling, chasing the winds of life. And missing out on stewarding what God has placed in his hands. You see, it's important that we be aware of the greedy man. Because it's the greedy man that will spend his whole life pursuing things instead of pursuing you. It's the greedy man that will spend all of his life pursuing things and thinking about the next thing and moving on to the next thing instead of pursuing his wife. And not only is stewardship about money, I believe stewardship is also about time. How does he steward the time that God has entrusted him with? Where is his time and where is his focus going? Where is his time being spent? Last week I mentioned the average male before the age of 21 will spend 14,000 hours of his life playing video games. 500 plus days of his life playing a game. He ain't even a Madden athlete. What he need to do is get in the gym. I, I, I think... There's also another statistic. This, call, this, this just blew me away. Blew me away. This upcoming generation, on average, will spend eight to nine hours a day on their phone scrolling through social media. Girls, you need to ask, show me your screen time. Show me your screen time. Are you, are you kidding? No. In fact, I want you to send it to me every week. Got to look at how he is stewarding his time. You see, stewardship is so much more than time. But it's all about stewarding their possessions. Is he living a life of generosity? With what God has put in his hand, how is he stewarding that thing? 
I think so many men today, they're just so greedy, caught up on what they can take hold of, that they're missing out, that the blessing is set on the one who is generous in this life. So many of you women, you're going to be robbed of the blessing that God wants to place on your family and on your life because you have a man that's living with two handfuls or hands closed. Instead of living with an abundance mindset of hands wide open, ready to give and ready to receive from God. How are they stewarding what God has placed in their hand? The fifth thing is this, do they have vision for their life? They have a vision for their life. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, it says, he must manage his own family well. In other words, he must be able to lead his family well and see that his children obey him. And this man of God, he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect, that if anyone does not know how to manage or lead his own family, how can he take care of God's church? How can he take care of a woman? I think in 2024, there's no denying that we have a lot of men with ambition but no vision. I think in 2024, we've got a lot of men that, that speak all about their ideas and their dreams but don't put their hands to the plow. See, it's one thing to be ambitious, but men, it's another thing to have a vision for your life. And so often, if we believe that I'll get a vision for my life when I find a partner. No, you get vision for your life when you find your purpose. A partner doesn't help you with vision. Walking in your purpose does. You've got to have a vision for your life. And there's no denying that no man can lead a family, or better yet, even a wife, if he can't lead himself. It's one of the most foundation, foundational leadership principles. Before you lead anyone, you got to be able to lead yourself. So many men are running around going, I'm just waiting on a woman to lead. Where is she? But you're a man waking up at 10 o'clock, rolling out of bed in the morning. Can't lead yourself. You're a man that can't even be a man of discipline and take care of your own necessities and needs in life. You've got to be able to lead yourself. The altar isn't the answer. Getting a vision for your life is. And vision, it comes from the Spirit of God. Vision, it comes from the Spirit of God. And so many of you in the room today, talking about all these achievements and desires and accolades and things that you want to do, friend, you will never be able to achieve those things without the Spirit of God leading your life. You have the Spirit of God in your life. The Bible says, without vision, the people perish. And I just believe that there's so many marriages that are perishing today because there's a lack of vision. There's a lack of vision. I think this whole message as I close, it lands on this, this quality that's probably the most important of them all. Does that man of God truly fear God? Does he truly live with a fear of God? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, 
and your years will be added onto your life. If you are wise, your wisdom, it will reward you. But if you're a mocker, you alone will suffer. If you're a mocker, not only will you suffer, but those that you bring alongside of you will suffer too. Got to live with a healthy fear of God. The other day I was uh, walking with my daughter, and uh, we love just walking around our neighborhood and just pushing her in the stroller. And there's this group of kids in my community uh, that they're always outside playing football. And one specific kid, he just stands out to me. Um, he's like the shorter one, but he's a scruffy one. Reminds me of like David or something. And this little dude, they were tossing the football. And he runs. There's a guy standing in front of him. And he snatches the ball out of his hand. And he starts joking, but pulls off his shirt and goes, I'm him. In this moment, I'm like, whoa, what, what's going on here, you know? Would you believe this joker looks at me and goes, yeah, I'm him. Like, boy, you got the wrong one. I'm a little late to the party, and I didn't even realize what this term, I'm him, means. What does that even mean? Yes, you know your gender, congratulations. It's like, I'm him. You just keep saying it. I'm like, slow down, kid. I go home, I'm looking it up. What does that mean? <laughs> it's just funny. My wife laughs at me because she's like, didn't you play football? I'm like, yeah, I don't care, you know. But the statement on him means I am the man of greatest authority and dominance. As I thought about that, I just thought that's how so many of you guys see yourself in the mirror. I'm him. I'm the man. And I think it's that same exact posture that's not only going to lead you to a place where your life is stripped from you, but where you miss out on becoming the man that God has called you to be. See, it's that mentality that blocks every blessing. It's that mentality that will keep you from taking hold of what God has for you in this life. See, when I thought about that idea of I'm him, it reminded me of this verse in Mark chapter 10 where Jesus says the greatest among these will die to themselves and be a servant of all. And it led me to this idea that, that if we want to be the greatest among these, if we want to walk with Jesus, if we want to be more like Jesus, if we want to become like who God is and who he has created and called us to be, we first need to learn the art of humility. You need to learn the art of humility. James chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that word grace, it means the unearned favor of God. If you want to be rewarded in this life, you need to understand what it means to walk in the way of humility. If you want a man who is called by God and used by God, woman of God, he has to have some humility in his life. Because the Bible says pride comes before the fall. But not only does he need to be a man of humility, he needs to be a man of integrity. He's got to have some integrity in his life. Proverbs 14 verse 2. It says, whoever lives with integrity fears the Lord. And I just believe if he lacks integrity now, he will lack integrity in the future. Not only does he need to be a man of integrity or humility, he needs to be a man of maturity. 
He needs to be a man of maturity. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. And when I realized some of you men in the room, you believe that maturity starts in marriage. I'll start carrying myself different. I'll start walking different. I'll start dressing the part of carrying myself in light of who God has called me to be when I get to the altar. Some of you men in the room need to understand that maturity starts with maturing mentally. Some of you men need to understand maturity begins by maturing emotionally. But most importantly, you need to understand maturity needs to take place spiritually. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, although by this time, some of you, you ought to be teachers. Some of you ought to be further along in your faith journey. Some of you should be knowing the deeper things of God but you're still stuck on basic principles of God's revelation. You need milk, not solid food. You need milk and not solid food. Some of us in the room, men, we need to understand it's time for us to grow up. You can't lead a woman if you're not maturing and pursuing growth. And woman of God, you need to understand your eyes, your filter should be a man who is maturing in every area of his life. And men... You can't pursue a relationship thinking it's going to spark maturity. In fact, I believe a relationship reveals immaturity. It reveals immaturity. It it reveals the blind blind spots in your life. And as I close, I was just so moved by this message and the gravity of this message because just a couple months ago, I was meeting with a young adult from this space. And he told me, he and his wife not long ago, found themselves weeks after their honeymoon already talking about divorce. See, weeks after they came back from their honeymoon, uh, he started to uncover some things that had taken place in his life, some things that he was struggling with, some things that he was dealing with, some things that he didn't even deal with. It sparked a conversation of divorce. And I'm just so moved When I hear things like that, because I just wonder how many of you in the room are dating like your marriage is going to end before it even begins. And I just believe that, men, it starts with us getting a bold conviction to realize that we need to become the man that God has called us to be. So the application is very, very simple tonight. Number one, men, you need to begin to strive to become the man that God has called you to be. You need to begin to strive to live out these qualities that we uncovered and spoke about today. For the women in the room, some of you need to begin to date with that filter of these are the qualities that a man of God looks like and that's what I need to be pursuing. It's simple. Two simple steps. But none of this will ever matter until you're living with the Spirit of God in your life. You can't become a noble man. You can't become a godly husband. You can't be a great leader without the spirit of God in your life. You can't have a God-honoring relationship. You can't have a healthy marriage. You can't have a successful marriage without the spirit of God in your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this moment, I just want to close with this thought today. 
I just wonder how different our lives would be if we actually pursued God in a way where we're trusting, we're becoming more like Jesus. I wonder how different not only our lives would be, but the lives of our children and our children's children if we focused on becoming who God has created and called us to be. And right now, what I want to do before I pray and close out, I want to pause. And I want some of you to earnestly pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, make me more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, help me to become the man of God that you've created and called me to be. Some of you women need to start praying this prayer. Holy Spirit, would you change my filter? Would you align my, my desires with your desires for my life? Would you align my preferences with what it is that you desire for me in a man of God? Let's just pause. Just invite him in. Just call on God.